This idea that Trump is blowing him out of the water is just not supported by the data. You love the real clear politics average. It's within the no, it's within the margin of error. Look at the last three or four polls. Trump's up two in one, then it's tied in the other, then Biden's up one in the other. If you believe that Trump will win by 20 points of the black vote, I have many, many bridges to sell you. Or the youth vote. The guy had vanilla ice at his New Year's Eve party, and you think he's winning? How dare you, Jessica? How dare you I have heard a lot from you over the years, but that will not stand. Ice, ice, baby, you're losing the youth vote. Well, that's our friend Jessica Tarlov at The Five. Once again, uh, bringing the heat. I think this is the second time, third third time I've started a show with Jessica telling it like it is. I mean, honestly, if you honestly do believe that the black vote and the youth vote is going in double digits to Donald J. Trump, if I got multiple bridges to sell you, I mean, come on now. Let's be honest. Vanilla ice, baby. Vanilla ice. Well, you know what? Let's see how that went. Here's a, here's a clip from Mar-a-Lago New Year's Eve. I mean, <laughs> that was uh, that was something, right? You know, and, and we've been all kind of mocking that whole thing uh, about how ridiculous it is, right? <laughs> I mean, that was the big that uh, was the big guess is Vanilla Ice, and straight from 1991. But I tell you what, the Trump campaign, the Trump family is positive. They've got the winning, uh, they've got the winning uh, issue. They got the winning coolness. Matter of fact, Laura Trump. Here's Laura Trump on her podcast talking all about just how cool it was, and you should have FOMO because you weren't there. Vanilla Ice, forget it. Ice Ice Baby, Ninja Rap. Like, what do you want from us? We're doing everything super cool at Mar-a-Lago, and I loved it. Um, It is a great time, like 700 people there. Of course, the greatest president in the history of the country there. My father-in-law, Donald Trump, was there with my husband. Uh, We had a great group of friends. We had an awesome time. Yeah, you know, they had it all. They had uh, Vanilla Ice, and they had a Ninja Turtle, and... 700 of Larry Trump's friends at Mar-a-Lago. I mean, you really missed out, folks. <laughs> and that's their winning message right now. Uh, the royalty, the playing their games in Mar-a-Lago in Florida. So they're really, really in the youth. Uh, <laughs> the youths. And it's easy to mock these people and they're disconnected from reality. But, you know, politics is complicated, right? And there's no amount of reality that's having a hard time interfering with people's views these days, right? And so I really wanted to get a guest this week. I thought it was the perfect time to talk about the difference between vibes and reality and the polls and the methods and the youth and uh, everybody else and what's matter. So we've got a great guest. We've got a great show. Let's just get right into it. Oh man, welcome back. Welcome to the show. Welcome to 2024. I am your host, Fred Wellman. Still, I was when we went into the music. Uh, man, as you see, I'm recovering from my COVID bout. I appreciate your patience with that last week. This is messed up. You know, last week when I did that show and I did the video from home and I was like sick and coughing, that was our biggest show. So I don't know if that's y'all or me, but, you know, I appreciate you folks and I appreciate the Midas Mighty for giving me support when I needed it. And uh, thanks for watching the show, man. 250,000 of you showed up. Uh, I'm glad to have you back this week. As you know, we come on on Friday night. Make sure you like, subscribe, say hi. Love talking to you guys. and I appreciate your support. Just amazing. Let's get into 2024. You know, look, this is our first show. 
Guess what, folks? It's officially election time. It's the election year. It's 2024. A lot of issues are going to come up. We're going to talk a lot about preparing our democracy for what's coming. And I, I just really wanted to start the year off right. I'm thrilled to have a returning guest. John Delvolpe joined us on the old days of before we joined the Midas Touch. John, of course, if you don't know him, I don't know how you don't know John Delvolpe by now, but he's the director of polling at the Harvard Kennedy School. Institute of Politics, author of the great book, Fight, How Gen Z is Channeling Their Fear and Passion to Save America, as you can see here, available online in your favorite bookstore, I'm sure. Also the founder of Social Sphere, a Cambridge-based public opinion analyst company. And by the way, also writing a fantastic newsletter, JDV on Gen Z on Substack. I can't recommend it enough. You need to subscribe to that one. I was just reading this morning. John, you're doing great. Man, it's great to have you back, my brother. Thanks for coming on the show. It is so great to be back. I'm so glad you're feeling better. Thank you. Um, thanks for having me, Fred. Let's go. Let's do it. So, you know, I, I, I've been, um, we opened the show with a clip of Jessica Tarlov just absolutely bashing her friends on the five on Fox News about the idea that somehow Trump is taking over the black vote and the youth vote from Biden, right? And, you know, and which is just patently ridiculous. And when I saw you actually tweeted out a very good summary that actually seems more accurate, that, that the actually the assessment that a lot of people are starting to see now. Now, this is actually a massive rise in don't knows, right? It's not necessarily a flood from a candidate. It's not a binary choice. What's your? You were talking about that the other day. What is going on with these numbers? I mean, are are the Gen Zers and the younger voters just having second thoughts about everybody at this point? Well, they're questioning everything. That's what they do. That's what young people do. <laughs> Good right? point, so right? They've been do- they've been doing it right from the beginning of time. Can we take a couple steps back though, please? And let's talk. Let's talk about Gen Z. Let's talk about millennials. Let's talk about Love the it. youth vote. Yeah, right? we live in a. We might say we we live in a democracy today because of them. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that, Fred, is because if not for younger people under the age of thirty, under the age of forty, Gen Zers or millennials. I have no doubt that Donald Trump would have been reelected in 2020. Yeah. Um, Donald Trump won the vote of everybody in their in the uh, 40, 50, 60, 70 age brackets in Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Georgia. Um, and it was the younger people in each of those states, specifically the teens and 20 year olds who supported uh, Biden by 20 point margins in each of those states wow. that were responsible for flipping those five states from from blue to red. So just like that's how important um, this cohort is. Yeah. Um, as we know, it's a key kind of constituency to Biden's reelection campaign with with young you know, uh, and, and, and Hispanic, African-American folks across uh, generations as well as, as, uh, as well as women. So it's just really important that we recognize that. And if we're recognizing that, let's make sure that we're like conducting research and polling that gives real voice right. to, um, to not just how they're thinking about voting today, but what their values and their attitudes are that are shaping that. Yep. So I just wanted to kind of start with that yeah. because it really matters when we're looking through, you know, these, these horse race polls that, we're looking at, you know, the first thing I do is, you know, all the polls are basically within a margin of error, right? Yeah. You know, some of them Biden's up by a couple, some of them he's down by a couple. But what is more important, I think, for us to look at is what are the what are the factors that are driving kind of those headline, those top line numbers? Yeah. You know, and and what we're seeing, what I'm seeing when I look at the last couple dozen polls of the last couple of months is a, is a real disconnect between pollsters, between methodologies. I can look at some polls, including my own Harvard poll, to show that the 
race among younger people looks what I would call relatively normal. Yeah. You know, Democrat has a significant double digit advantage, however we cut it. You know, um, the uh, CBS YouGov, the Economist YouGov polls show very similar things. These polls are quite accurate um, in the last cycle. I look at other other polls. Um, most of those other polls were, you know, conducted as some telephone methodology, and there's a lot of different kinds of telephone methodologies. But yep. you look at some of those other polls, and it shows that, um, you know, there's a toss-up supposedly between between Trump and and Biden, or in some cases, Biden's up by a couple or down by a couple. Yeah. Um, and I've got real concerns about about that. I've got real concerns about the narrative that is uh, allowed to uh, to play out. Um, you know, kind of based on some of those polls that yeah. I honestly don't really feel like are an accurate reflection of uh, a public opinion among one of the most important subgroups in the electorate today, younger voters. Yeah, I love hearing you say that. <laughs> it's nice to have a pollster who's honest about this. And that's what you went on. You went on for, you, you sent me a thread yesterday when we were talking about this disconnect between a phone poll methodology and an online poll. And and my God, I mean, I got I don't have it handy, but it was nuts, man. I mean, the, <laughs> the difference. Point difference, right, right. How much? There's a 20, is it, there is a 23 point swing between, um, you know, I, I tweeted uh, a handful of, of polls, but all taken kind of in the in the in the, in the first and the, the first couple of weeks of the, in the first last couple of weeks of last year and and, and, and this week, right? Yeah. So there's a, the most recent polls. There was a 23 point swing um, among just younger people, and what was interesting about this, which is obviously impossible. Yeah. Impossible. Right. Um, impossible. But when I looked at those same exact polls. From the end of 2020, yeah, okay, there was a much more narrow gap. When we're looking at these subgroups, they're small subgroups. There's a couple hundred Terrible. people. Yeah. Okay, Mar has a margin of error of eight, nine, ten points based on you know wow. uh, the exact sample size. But directionally, they should at least be make sense. Yeah, they should at least make sense. You know, um, and uh, these 23 point swings are absolutely uh, outrageous. And, but it's not all telephone polls because there are some telephone polls that are that um, are showing more like an online poll. Okay. So it's it's not just telephone versus online. It's much more uh, it's much more complex. But again, the issue is when there was a USA Today Suffolk University poll. It's a solid poll, right? But um, that's one of the polls I cited in terms of kind of having that youth vote kind of upside down and that driving basically a half a week's worth of news yeah. saying that there's a significant issue with uh, with younger people moving towards Trump. Now, do they question Biden, right? Sure. Do they have questions in terms of of, 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 of of what they care about and what's being delivered? Absolutely, that's what campaigns are about. Yeah. But to believe that they're switching allegiances from their core values that overwhelmingly align with, with Democrats to a MAGA Republican, which is antithetical to so much their beliefs. It just doesn't really make sense to me, you no. know, and this is kind of what I do. So. Yeah, no, I love it. And that's, and that's where we get that where I mentioned the, the don't knows, right? I mean, it, it, it's not necessarily, and I think also it's not a binary choice yet. I, I know it's it's hard to believe that everybody's just assuming Trump's the inevitable nominee. You got some free freaky stuff going on in New Hampshire right now, where Nikki Haley actually is doing things, right? So it, it, this, I think we live in where everybody assumes everything's binary. But when you see both of them going down, we just see people who aren't aren't sure yet, and that's okay, right? Because 
it's freaking January. It's not November yet. <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe yeah. we'll freak out. Maybe you should freak out in October, but not January, right? Uh, listen, yeah, it's 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 okay. It's a natural thing. And yeah. it, it's going to be more complicated, right? We right. don't necessarily know the outcome of, like you said, what New Hampshire is going to happen. And we also don't know who else is going to be on, 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 on the ballot, right? right. Um, listen, so I don't think, it, you know, it's time to, quote, freak out, but... I do think it's time, you know, for 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 folks to remind younger people that we live in a different and are arguably a better place because of their participation in 2020, because yeah. of their participation. Right. We've got record investment in climate because of their participation. You know, we have a an office of gun violence prevention and bipartisan legislation um, because of their participation. We have the first African-American woman in the Supreme Court. So this matters. Yeah. And they need to remind it of this, I think, constantly and not just wait until October when it's time to freak out. That's yeah. a process, of course. Yeah. But um, but I do think they're in the in the soft camp, undecided, still looking, still thinking about really kind of uh, what's what's uh, what's at stake. Yeah. And how does that compare historically, John? I mean, you, you've done this for a couple of days. Um, it, it, looking at, say, the 2016, looking at, you know, 2012, does this is this a, a place where we've been before or is this unique? Well, well, so um, so as you said, it's been man, it's been over two decades since yeah. uh, you know um, I've led the Harvard the Harvard Youth Poll. So yeah. we've got a significant amount of data. So I think um, the survey that we released the last survey we do this twice a year with our undergrads surveying you know a few thousand, few thousand, not a few hundred, a few thousand eighteen to twenty nine year olds across the country. Wow! And basically, what that showed is, however I cut it, adult younger adults registered voters or even the more likely voters, there's a solid double digit lead for the Democrat for Biden, you know, in a in a in a two way race. And he's doing um, it's a little bit more complicated, but he still um, performs quite well in, in when we show independent options as well. So that looks as you'd expect it to, yeah. given the last couple of cycles. What um, what I'm actually more interested in looking at now is is not the enthusiasm for for uh for voting for biden or for trump or whatever but i'm really interested in like who is invested in government who is who has faith that the system can work hmm. and is therefore likely to participate that's mm -hmm. what i'm really interested in because yeah. it's the combination of a, a, a of a, of a series of progressive values in the last handful of years record level settings of participation OK, that has kind of both blunted the red wave from, you know, um, a year and a half ago mm -hmm. and um, was, um, you know, was the force, I think, one of one of the, the, the major forces that led to Democrat success in 18, 20, as well as 23. And and at this point, it looks like there's a fewer number of younger people tell us they're likely to vote in 24 mm -hmm. relative to 20. 20 was the high watermark. Sure. Right. Um, but that's kind of what I'm really kind of focused on. And that's one when our students um, come back to campus in a couple of weeks that we'll, we'll begin to really kind of dig into that as we hmm. prepare for our next poll um, this spring. And something I pulled from it, too, was a discussion that I thought was interesting about the difference that you're seeing a gap, though. Is it a sort of a pronounced gap between college educated and those who are taking college courses versus those who have no college education and youth vote? It seems like that's a, 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 a much it's growing a, a bigger gap than you expect. Is that accurate to say? Because it was pretty significant difference between those who have been to college and those who haven't at this point. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I'm as guilty as anyone talking about quote that you felt as a, as, yeah, as, as a block a, or a monolith, right. as a block, right. um, not necessarily the case, of course. And especially one of the big lessons I think from, from 22 is really looking at, at, at some of these individual segments. One of the more important ones, as you said, is those with a college experience, whether they're a student or a recent grad. When, when we look, for example, in 2020, um, uh, in the last presidential, Young people on college campuses voted, in most cases, at, at close to the level of the average American, you know, level of participation, which, which is 60 plus percent. Yeah. Right. Um, so overall, um, it was a lot, 2020 was the first time where a majority is 50, 51, 52 percent um, of eligible young people voted. Um, but again, you add 10 points to that, that person has um, has a college degree, experience in classes, uh, et, et cetera. And, you know, that's partly because of how important um, the issues are today and the urgency that they feel. But it's also, I think, due in large part to like the, the tens of millions of dollars of investments that so many, you know, um, independent as well as partisan groups have made organizing uh, college campuses you can really see the impact um, of all those years of investments going over, you know, as long as I've been doing this, you know, yeah. a couple generations now. But how do you capture those who haven't been to college? Those who've gone into the work, you know, the workforce, those who are working in, you know, the, you know, delivering trucks, you know, delivering packages. I mean, um, is that a concern though? That that um, in our efforts to focus on campus organizing and and high school organizing, et cetera, are we missing? Is there is there the danger that we're going to miss the youth that isn't in those places? It's one of the more challenging groups to um, to reach, to, right? Uh, yeah. to, to reach and to connect, and those are also the groups, right, that are less connected to institutions. They've yeah. got less trust in institutions, yeah. right? Less able to, I, I, I think, kind of trust what they hear, you know, from other message, uh, other message messengers. So, you know, you say quote unquote kind of social media. But it's much more than like yeah. tossing up a tweet or a post or a, a video, right? Yeah. It's really about understanding these understand these communities, podcasts like this, right? Yeah. And um, and really having kind of a completely different view of uh, of of where young people are spending their time, in, um, um, uh, uh, having conversations about the things that they care in, and finding those natural ways to to um, to kind of uh, incorporate the, the important issues of the day kind of within those things. So yeah. so I think it takes a broad a broad based approach, you know, connecting via as it, via the social media networks, through the um, gaming networks, through mm. YouTube related networks. Right. When we think about I think there'll be a lot of work when we think about the summer concert festivals. Yeah. Uh, those are opportunities where a lot of young people uh, participate, some of many of which won't have a college experience. So we yeah. really have to think, I uh, think, quite differently in terms of the way in which we're we're connecting and communicating um, with, with with younger people. And I, I, I talk about like a sometimes when I talk to candidates, I talk about the, it's a cross tab issue, too. And what I mean when I say that is. This also may be a young black person who didn't have the opportunity to go to college and they've gone right in the workforce or are not working. Right. So uh, when you, it, there's you have to think where who these people, who these young people are, 
why they may not be in college or why their experience is different and then reach because the, their issues are going to be different right when you're for example you know a country kid right who's working on a farm right or you're a black kid sure. living in the city and just doesn't have that opportunity um candidates are going to have to think of these cross-tab issues to reach like you said music festivals or um yeah. you know the, the black experience black we joke a lot about black twitter uh, <laughs> you know it's it is you have to have the right people on your team to do that, I did see that uh, uh, President Biden has hired a, a youth coordinator. I think one of the young ladies from Gen, uh, from uh, Voters of Tomorrow, I believe, is so they are making Eve, an investment. Levinson, yeah, yeah, yeah. Eve Levinson, right? So they're investing now. I thought that was a good sign that we're in January and they're investing in that. Um, are they going to invest heavily in that? Are you aware? Uh, I suspect they will. I suspect yeah. they will, and I think I think Eve is is someone I've gone to know just because of uh, of of the work, and um, and I'm so impressed with with um, the grassroots um, systems that she's been able to um, kind of employ over the years. Yeah, and having having those skills um, attached to a billion dollar operation, mm -hmm. I think is 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 going to be quite uh, effective. So um, yeah, I, I know I don't know a lot, but I do know that the Biden campaign understands the importance of young people, and um, I'm sure it's a top priority for them. I'm sure of it. I love that's it. a great place to take a break. We've got some great sponsors. Our friends of Human and Roan joined us this week. Uh, let's listen to them talk about their great products, and we'll come right back. You know, we all have a heartfelt reason to support our blood pressure. In fact, more than half the U.S. population would benefit from blood pressure support of some kind. Superbeats Heart Shoes are an easy and convenient way to support healthy blood pressure and they promote heart healthy energy. Paired with a healthy lifestyle, the antioxidants in Superbeats are clinically shown to be nearly two times more effective at promoting normal blood pressure than a healthy lifestyle alone. And with over 30,000 five-star reviews and counting, Superbeats Heart Shoes are having their moment. Superbeats Heart Shoes are incredibly delicious and so much better than any alternative supplements out there. I take my Superbeats Heart Shoes each morning and it's really kickstarted my morning routine. After taking my Superbeats Heart Shoes, I feel like I have more energy and, you know, honestly, I'm ready to take on the day. Superbeats is the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended heart shoe for cardiovascular support. It's blood pressure support you can trust. Support your heart health with Superbeats Heart Shoes. Get a free 30-day supply of your Superbeats Heart Shoes and a free full-size bag of turmeric shoes valued at $25 by going to our own website, democracybeats.com. Get this exclusive offer only at democracybeats.com. That's democracybeats.com. Check it out. Order some heart shoes today. We recommend them highly. If you're like me, you understand the pain of finding out what to wear each day. I mean, most clothes I have are uncomfortable, never actually the size I really am, and not to mention how much time is wasted trying to find a good outfit. And when you do have a good fit, you can only wear it for a few hours where you have to change for an important meeting or dinner, find a new outfit. Now, everyone wants to dress well at all times because simply put, it's a confidence booster, even for men like me. Men's closets were due for a radical overhaul and reinvention, and Roan stepped up to the challenge. Roan's commuter collection is the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible set of products known to man, and here's why. Roan helps you get ready for any occasion with the commuter collection, which offers the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, and polos. You have never have to worry about what to wear when you have the Roan commuter collection. With gold fusion, anti-odor technology, you'll be smelling fresh and clean all day long, and on top of that, Roan is 100% machine washable, so you can just ditch it all in the dry cleaner or ditch the dry cleaner completely. Put it all in your own washing machine yourself. You know, I'm obsessed with the Roan Commuter Collection. 
We're on the move a lot, whether it's I'm catching a flight or I'm going to a meeting or whatever. The Rome Commuter Collection has never let me down so far. The Commuter Collection get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to head to roan.com slash Fred. Use promo code Fred to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com slash Fred and use code Fred. It's time for you to find your corner office of comfort. Check out our sponsor, Roan. I hope you'll buy some outfits today. So coming back into it, keeping that conversation going about these, these, the youth vote and, and reaching them, one of the things I also noticed in some of your polls that you've talked about and others is there seems to be a, you know, when you were here on last time, we talked about how Democrats, of course, are all about issues. We, we joke a lot, they, you know, they bring a policy pen to an argument, right? Whereas Republicans tend to be about feelings and, and a lot of times that feeling is anger. <laughs> but I'm also seeing now, a year later since you and I last talked, John, is... It's like a lot. <laughs> I try to frame this. Um, it seems like vibes are running the conversation these days, and I, I, I vibes being the way I frame it. Because, for example, you, you did. You, there was a poll the other day that I think I want to say it was like sixty nine percent of people of youth are happy with their personal financial financial situation, but something like twenty nine percent flipped and said the national economy is bad. That's a really yeah. weird disconnect, right? Like you have people saying, hey, finance, and that was at all ages, by the way, that they were happy with their yep. personal financial situation. But uh, consistently they said, yeah, but the national economy is trash. It's a, that just feels to me like a vibe check, right? It's like, it's a pull, does that make sense? That Am I crazy? Let's have that conversation. I'd love to. Let's have that, let's have that conversation, yeah. It's about, because I think it's about the way in which you're asking questions and the irrelevancy okay. of some of these questions. So, yeah. yeah. Let's uh, let's let's do that. Yeah. So, what is that? I mean, because uh, there's another poll you put. You saw that that people were. I, I got to find the number. Overwhelmingly happy, like in that every demographic. Yeah. yeah. Then you were saying that's a great. Nobody's asking that question. I think it was from December. You know, the, are, are you happy? What do you? So when people are getting frustrated, the polls are. Should we be? <laughs> I think. I think what I'm hearing from you is that we should be frustrated because they're asking the wrong questions, right? And they're getting certain answers, and then we're we're executing on those answers, and they may not have been the right question. It, does that make sense or am I off base? Yeah, I don't want to so, be, I don't want to be smirch your profession, by the way. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you know? well, um, anyone can ask any question. Okay. All sure. questions are pretty much, yeah. most all questions are a good question. Right. But the, but it's what you do with the answers to those questions. Right. That matters. So, and, and, and how, um, how predictive those questions are to uh, to someone to someone's actions. Yeah. Okay. So right. So we have you know literally decades and decades of asking questions about are we on the right track or the wrong track or views about you know the uh, the economy or, or a variety of other things. Right. And I think in this post-Trump era, um, a lot of the old ways that we collectively think about the electorate are just not as relevant. Yeah. If they were relevant, okay, the Republicans would have had a red wave. Yeah. Okay. Um, because looking at all of those historical measures, most of them added up to, you know, uh, first term, first midterm uh, incumbent president right. losing a large number of seats, you know, looking at the state of um, inflation, some of the economic metrics. That's why I think, you know, so many um, folks um, who might have gotten 2022 wrong, we're looking at those numbers, okay, right. rather than the right 
polling questions. Okay. Mm. So, so, so when we talked, you know, kind of before the break about some of those slicing, those, those, those subgroups of African and, you know, African-American or, or the folks who live in rural areas, it's all about actually listening. It's all mm. about listening to um, the connection that they have um, with their community, with their country, you know, what really matters to them, what keeps them up at night in ways that, you know, a politics and campaigns and candidates and government can affect those things. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's really about listening better. And, yeah. and, and, and as you said, I funded my own survey this past summer where I asked people on a variety of different topics, like how satisfied are you? How happy are you? Yeah. And as you said, I found people much more kind of satisfied and happy hmm. than I would have expected if I was just reading all those polls. In the Harvard poll, we asked, you know, we always ask about your personal financial situation. Then we asked about the national economic situation. Right. And we had kind of um, completely different kind of responses to that because I think when we talk about the national economic situation, we're just triggering, we're just triggering a, a hard partisan response. When we look uh, at the individual data on your personal financial situation, there's no difference between the way a Republican and Democrat answers that question, Fred. There's no difference. Right. Right. They're they're both, you know, do okay. Does it mean that it's easy to buy a house if you're a younger person? No. Does it mean, you know, that you have no worries? Absolutely not. Okay. But we just have to, I think, constantly listen to people and incorporate the ways in which they're living their lives, the questions they're having, the conversations they're having across their communities into the polling narrative so we can have a better reflection of what people really think when we remove our, you know, our partisan hats. And I think it's a really important topic that doesn't get enough attention um, when we're, when pundits are looking at and trying to discern where public opinion is headed based upon the daily polls. Oh, that's fantastic. I love your perspective. And and along that note, one thing that did pop interestingly lately is um, while the number one issue that needs to be addressed the next year in, the, in some polls is the you know, economy, is always the economy, obviously. But number yeah. two was surprisingly foreign policy, which, you know, as, as a campaign guy, you know, the, 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 you know, the common theme is that foreign policy, people talk about it, but nobody goes in the voting booth over foreign policy. But you, I think you expressed surprise that that's a really weird place. Is that Gaza or is something else going on? So a couple of things on that one, right, in terms of my personal perspective. Yeah. yeah. Economy is often number one. Yeah. Right? But it's but it's like, where is it, Fred? Right. Like, you know, a third, you know, based upon it, that's a question, right? What's yeah. the top issue or whatever? Right. It's like 30, 35 percent. Yeah. Okay? Fred, that means that 65 to 70 percent say economy is not the top issue. There's mm. something else. Yeah. Okay. So we all, we always focus on the economy. Economy is all, uh, of course, extremely important. Yeah. Extremely important. I'm not saying it's not. Yeah. But let's also give some respect to the other 70 percent who have other issues that they really care about, yeah. right? And, and listen, and I think foreign policy has played a far greater role in um, in determining public opinion than we appreciate in recent times. Yeah. Okay? Ask, ask, ask the White House, you know, the effect on polling after Afghanistan, okay? That we can clearly see the 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 dip in the approval ratings, yeah. okay, after a foreign policy. Now, um, now that's a, that's a challenging thing because yeah. overwhelming number of Americans supported the policy, right? Yeah. Um, but that is the point where I think the the the, the polling really changed. That's a foreign policy 
events. Yeah. Okay. It just is right. Um, and I think you can, you can see some, some, you know, there are some clearly some threads, I, I, you know, again, in my polling from Harvard, which is a couple thousand people, um, it was taken in late October, early November. Mm. Um, but there were some clearly some, 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 some threads of, uh, of discord among younger people concerned about the, um, White House's response, um, to Israel and, and Gaza. Yeah. Um, again, it hadn't really affected the top line at that point via, you know, vis-a-vis Trump. That was in the relative early days um, of that conflict, and we'll see. But um, I don't think there's a question, Brad, that um, our role, that Israel's role in the Middle East over the next year is going to have an outsized impact on uh, on this campaign, specifically among young, independent-minded uh, voters thinking about politics and government and their choices for the first time. I don't think there's any question about it. Yeah, it's such a it's it, it even more so in Ukraine. I think it's it's much more visceral to Americans. Our relationship with Israel, our relationship with the Jewish faith, is such a unique one. That, and then, of course, the the feeling of and and we've talked about it when you were previously on the show about how um, and I know that's a great place to go to the book. Um, one of the things I loved about your book, um, and we talked about last time, is how I remember you talking specifically, and I, I actually highlighted a lot, John. So I hope your ears aren't burning. But the idea that this generation, this younger generation, when they go into the voting booth, their think their community is much larger than ours was as kids. Mine was mm-hmm. as far as my ten speed bike would ride. Their community literally is someone in Germany. Their their community is someone, yeah. uh, you know, their auntie who is gay and is losing her rights, or their their friend in Texas who can't get an abortion anymore. That the this younger generation is much more of a, a connected community. And so I do think that the, 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 the plight of the Gazans right now, especially, is really affecting their view of the larger world. Is that accurate? Is that dovetailing what you said in fight? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. There's um, there, there, there's like this, seems like this ingrained sense of empathy in protecting the vulnerable. Yeah. We've probably yeah. spoken about this before. Yeah. And by definition, right? Younger people are among the most vulnerable people in society anyway. Right. right? But, 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 but again, carrying that with them and protecting, as you said, right? That, um, that young woman in Florida who has to leave her family and her home or job, right? Because she's concerned if she gets pregnant, she may not have reproductive health care. I hear that quite often in, in, in focus groups yeah. and other settings with younger people, right? Voting kind of for those people and, and all the other um, people in society that they fear are losing their rights, right? But again, um, the situation in Gaza is, is less about losing rights and it's more about losing their lives, right? Mm-hmm. And these are, um, of course, you know, thousands and thousands of innocent young people. And uh, it's happening in real time, of course, you know, seeing the the images both on their phones and through through television, et cetera. It reminds me of of the images after um, among many sets of images, but it reminds me a lot of the images, you know, um, the days after Memorial Day 2020 when George Floyd was murdered in in, uh, in Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same thing. And so it is the election year and, and we're going into that, you know, is um, and, and there's some wonderful. And by the way, if you're a candidate for office or a campaigner and you haven't read fight, um, it's there's there's certain books I always tell every candidate that I work with when they're running. I was like, here's here's your library. Here's your list of books you need to buy <laughs> and read. You know, the campaign manager is a classic, right? The how to run a campaign. And then, of course, fight is a big one because how we talk to our youth, how we energize them from high school up and, and in every district from state Senate to Congress, of course 
course. So as we go into this, what is you as a professional who's been looking at this for 20 years, what what should candidates be looking at in these days as we go into the election year? What what should candidates be looking at? What's going to motivate these young voters to their side, be it whatever it is, because frankly, we have people watch both sides. But what, from your experience, I mean, if, what, if you could give some advice to a generic candidate, what would your advice be as far as their approach to this, this, this cohort? Uh, thank you for the, uh, for the opportunity for that question. Like, right. Unlike, you know, um, some of the other groups we talked about just a little bit, right? Rural yeah. voters or even African-American voters. The thing with younger people are they're in every district. Yeah. Right. And at every state, it, at every level, uh, whether you're running for the state senator, for the town council, for Congress, senator, presidency, et cetera. So like the, 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 uh, the, uh, the value and the impact of young people um, is so um, important. Here's the number one piece of advice is to um, is to understand what motivates young people to participate is whether they can see the tangible difference that government can make right okay. in their lives and in their community. Right. So and 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 especially for those folks who are who are focused on like on local or state elections, there's even more opportunity, right, to show to show that impact. So right. um, younger people, in, in many places, more younger people will volunteer in some meaningful form of community service than vote because they can see the impact that volunteerism um, and that kind of civic engagement can have, right? Teaching someone, mentoring someone, building something, feeding someone, et cetera. So number one, it's all about the, the um, specifics in terms of how government can make a difference. That's kind of part one, right? The second part is once you've done that, the second part is to is to listen and to spend time with young people and find those areas where um, values kind of align, right? Um, and show that we may not agree on everything, you know, we may not agree in the process, but um, in most places we're kind of on the on the same page. I hear you and kind of respect those values, and that's kind of what I'm what I'm fighting for, right? Yeah. Um, and then the third thing, of course, is to is to show those differences between you know um, what, how those values are reflected, and you're the individual that can move government forward to make those change on the issues that you care about compared to whoever the opponent is. So it's like a two or three step process. Yeah. It's not like um, the targeting, communicating, mobilizing other cohorts that have got that have a long track record of, of voting and participating. Um, so those that's kind of like the high level um, advice. But the other just really you know thing that I get a lot of value in is, is just listening, right? And whether that's in I'm a, I'm a, a big big advocate uh, of of qualitative research, you know of yeah of focus groups or or even 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 less sophisticated or or less formal uh, versions of those. Yeah. Um, you can learn so much by just surrounding yourself, you know, with um, a representative group of young people from uh, from your area. Yeah, listen. yeah, and just like you said, listen. I, I think you're absolutely right. Is and that's been my experience as well. Is especially this youth want to hear. We just had an incident here, and it made national news. Uh, there's a school district, Francis Hall School District, across the river from us here in St. Louis, who made uh, had a little you know MAGA takeover of their district. Um, first, they rescinded an anti-racism um, uh, uh, measure they had written uh, during the George Floyd uh, uh, circumstances, and then they they decided to get rid of Black history courses and Black literature courses that were optional courses, uh, but had been sent by the SLPC. So they decided it was, you know, woke. Uh, and the thing is, it blew up in their face. Immediately over mm. 3,000 students, and this is a very overwhelmingly white district, by the way, overwhelmingly white district, 
but thousands of the students protested and marched and showed up at the school board meeting and damned if they didn't actually force the school board to rescind that and reenact or, uh, re, you know reinstate these courses as as optional courses so so this this cohort is active at the youngest age now uh so we i think i feel we we ignore them at our risk don't we yeah, uh, certainly that community, and there are a dozen <laughs> of examples of that as well. Yeah, Fred, when we were their age, you know, we voted at least in the midterm elections at half of their level. Yeah, you know, uh, at half the level. So and nobody asked baby, us to really. Let's be honest. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So baby boomers, Gen Xers, and even millennials were yeah. were in that eighteen to 24, 18 to twenty nine year old cohort. They voted at half the level of this generation. Yeah. So the key is the key is to can to to realize their kind of their passion, that urgency, that fight that they have, and really kind of tap into that. Yeah. You know, and 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 show what they've earned based upon based upon um, the efforts they put in already. Remind them of those things, right? That they, they haven't. You know, we haven't. You know, gone to that that promised land, right? We've made progress. We haven't gone all the way there, but we've made progress because of their participation. Remind them of that, and then um, and continue to kind of encourage them. They need to be. That's the thing, right? Right. They need to be asked. That's just part of all of us, right? You know, uh, you asked me to be on the podcast. I wasn't volunteering to be on the podcast. You asked me, I did. Same <laughs> yep. thing with voting. Same thing. With yes. Voting, right? Yep. It's funny. I, uh, back at our school where you work, I went to, you know, I went to grad school there in yep. 2007. Uh, I took a class from a class from Steve Jarden, uh, pretty well-known campaign manager. Uh, and Steve's class was on how to run for office. And, and, and one of the most poignant things he told us that stuck with me for years was how important it is to get your candidate to ask for a vote. And, and people kind of looked crazy, like, no, you'd be shocked how important it is for you to look someone dead in the eyes and say, I need you to vote for me. Will right. you please give me your vote? And and right. and that's as, that was 20 years ago, right? <laughs> and it's as important now, and you're right. And and, and it's funny, while you were talking, I did, I, I said it offhand, but I don't remember anyone doing outreach to me at the age of 18. Now, mind you, I was in the Army, but still... I never heard any kind of in the in 1980s of of reaching out to youth and getting us to vote. It was just we were just expected. But you're right; it, it is going to have to be a, a a concerted and directed effort to reach out to this cohort and bring them into yeah. the fold. Hey, that, listen, that's why we started the poll 20 something years ago, yeah. right? Because that wasn't happening, right? Yeah. And thankfully, there's been a lot of attention on this in terms of their values. So it's easier. We're making it easier. We're telling you what they think about, what they care about. And there's been tremendous, you know, investments, you know. Um, by individuals and by the parties over the last couple of decades, by campaigns to do that. And we can see the effects of that. My shorthand, uh, basically stolen from Deval Patrick's campaign for governor of Massachusetts. Yeah. Identify, identify, empower, and then ask, right? Um, and 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 that's really kind of the key. Identify these cohorts, specifically young people, empower them, let them know that you're here, you're listening. Um, but then ask them to do something, not just vote, ask them to help you organize, you, you know, to raise money, to do all the things that are necessary to give energy to those campaigns. Show up. Just be there. Be active. I love it. Do well, your job. Yep, that's it. Well, John, man, I I could talk to you for an hour or two, obviously. <laughs> it's a, always a joy to talk to you. Uh, I did kind of plug it top. To, where can people find you, brother? Uh, great. Uh, all of our Harvard data is at IOP on the Harvard IOP website. Yep. I'm at socials, uh, my social sphere website, Della Volpe on Twitter or X, Della Volpe on Instagram. And thank you for that um, plug of that Substack, JDV on Gen Z. I love it. I, it's, it's one of my must reads and I get a lot of Substacks now. I, I write my own. Uh, not enough, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, it's always great insight when you're here. And I really appreciate it. I recommend it to my candidates and everybody. So, John, man, keep it the fire, brother. I really appreciate your time.
Always. Thanks, Fred. Good seeing you. Man, what a great conversation, right? You know, it's uh, and 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 I love having guests that challenge my what I think, uh, challenge my assumptions, um, question my assumptions, and then we learn something from. So I, I hope you got something great out of that. Look, there, there's a lot of issues here to deal with. We have to unpack. We have to think about what's happening. But it's not binary, folks. I think that's the biggest thing for me as I was getting ready for the show is that this. You know, we live such a everything's black and white now, right? Every pundit has to be black and white. Everything has, there's very little gray. There is gray here, right? There is dissatisfaction with what's going on in our country. Look, we. We'd be we'd be foolish and and in denial if we didn't d d admit that there's a challenge with Mr. Biden's age and and some of the foreign policy things that have happened between Afghanistan. Look, if if you ignore those and act like that's not true, you're just going to get bit by them. But so as we as for me, I'm a campaign professional. As a campaign professional, you have to be very honest with yourself, with your candidate, with your campaign. Say, hey, look, these are some of our weak points. How do we address them? There's lots of time. It's January. We're going into November. Um, you heard from uh, John how much can be done. Um, we as Americans who understand our democracy and the need to support our democracy can do a lot of things and get involved in a lot of ways. Look, your state, local races need you right now. Um, you know, the real democracy, as my friend David Pepper calls it, the laboratory of democracies at the state houses. Um, you can be involved in your democracy much more than writing checks. We love those, but you can be involved in a lot of really interesting ways. And I hope you will. Uh, I hope you will do more than just watch and share, which, by the way, I love you for that. Watch and share the show. Tell your friends about the show. But also, get involved, man. You know, this country is ours. This democracy is ours. We do live in a constitutional republic. And that means that you and I have to participate in it to get representatives who represent us and not themselves. Represent you and not the special interest. Represent you and your beliefs and not just what they're told in their churches on Sunday. That's up to us. So I still feel strongly what I say to every time. We are winning. We're on the right path. We're doing the right things. We've got great. The economy is doing much better than it's been in ages. Now the hard part comes. The work, the work to actually win, right? So you can win a battle and lose a war. We don't want to win all the battles and lose the war. The war is coming. We're in it. Keep up the fight. With that, I'm not going to bore you to death. If I love you, I'll send you a note out on Substack. Please follow our Substack. If you, want me, if you can subscribe, subscribe for free. Love you to subscribe for pay. Um, most of the stuff's going out is free, but your your subscription really helps me out. As you know, i got a lot going on. We did file our objections. We did file our dismissal request on the lawsuit for Mr. Flynn. Um, I've posted that online. I'll post it again later when the show comes out. Uh, I'll probably do a Substack about it. I think Matt have been promising to do a Substack about it. Um, I'll get that out, but uh, it's interesting. Uh, we our lawyers, my lawyers are incredible and they, uh, they ain't playing. And so if you want to check out what's going on with that insanity with Mr. Mike Flynn trying to sue me for three tweets, I welcome you to check that out on my social media. I think it's pinned to my ex, pinned to my threads. By the way, if you're not on threads yet, if you are on threads, I would love you to follow me there. I'm spending a lot more time on threads these days for a million reasons. I'm enjoying it. It's still got some bugaboos to work out, but I do enjoy being on there. I'm FP Wellman official on, on uh, threads. I'm also FP Wellman official on Instagram. I'd love some more followers there. Uh, and then, of course, as always, we're on X slash Twitter as FP Wellman. In the meantime, have a great week. I hope you're recovering well from the holidays. I hope you had wonderful holidays. I did in spite of getting a little sick. Uh, we've got an incredible year ahead of us for our democracy. I'm just thrilled that you're part of the on-democracy community and being part of it. With that, I can't wait to see you next week.